0: Maybe you know this song. It's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. This is my favorite line from the song. It's the hap-happiest season of all. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call, it's the hap-happiest season of all. Well, this makes me sympathetic to Mr. Scrooge, who famously said, "Bah! Humbug!" Is it the ha- happiest season of all? Mr. Scrooge looked around at all these decorations, and feasts, and songs, and blah, 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 blah. and he said, bah, humbug. I decided I needed to look up the word humbug and find out what it meant. Because honestly, the only time I've ever seen the word humbug used is in the story by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, in which Mr. Scrooge says, bah, humbug, humbug. So I looked it up. Humbug means nonsense, sham, pretense. It's all just humbug. All this Christmassy, happiest season of all stuff. I got to confess, I'm a little sympathetic to Mr. Scrooge. I think, well, there's a lot of celebrating going on. There's a lot of Gift buying going on? Well, I'm thankful for that because it keeps our economy going, apparently. But I think, you know, in January, we're going to have to pay the bill. That's exactly how Mr. Scrooge would say it. You know, in January, we're going to have to pay the bill. It's the faux-phoniest season of all. It's great to have a party. It is happy. But is there anything under the humbug? We all know this, right? We're always talking about how it's good to have real Christmas. That There's a lot of hoopla, but is there anything under the humbug? Is there anything that lasts? Is there anything to really hold on to? And thankfully, the answer to that question is yes. Yes. And yes. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him always yes. For the promises of God find there yet... I'm sorry, I left out an important word. For all... The promises of God are yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God are yes in him. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 2, that great announcement by the angels. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. In the same region, this is verse 8 actually, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. You could not pick a more obscure group of people in the whole world. Shepherds in the region of Bethlehem, which was an obscure town, It just happens to be the town that David is from, which is important. But there's not much to this town. It's a tiny little country town in the middle of nowhere. And now we're not even in the town. We're in the region near the town where shepherds are doing what shepherds do, which is watch their sheep at night. This is as obscure as possible. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, as you would be if the glory of the Lord came anywhere near you. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. You know, normally when the glory of the Lord shows up, it's not going to be good. You could ask Isaiah about that, who suddenly found himself in the God's temple and he terrified him and it terrified these guys. But the angel says, it's okay. I have good news. Good news of great joy that will be for All the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We don't expect the announcement of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God incarnate. We don't expect that announcement to be made to these kind of people in this kind of place, let alone announce to them that they would find the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, lying in a feed box. But he is indeed the son of David, the the chosen one, the anointed one, the expected one, Messiah, king of kings, prince of peace, lying in a manger in Bethlehem, announced by angels to shepherds. And in him, all the promises of God are yes. Another translation of that text says, However many are the promises of God, they are all yes in him. In other words, Jesus Christ himself, the incarnate son of God, Jesus Christ, is actually the fulfillment of every last promise of God. If God has promised anything to anyone, according to this text, if God has promised anything to anyone, that promise is fulfilled in the man, Jesus Christ. Well, this made me think, what are the promises of God? Well, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. So I thought, well, let's look at like the main ones because there's the story in the scripture of the unfolding promises of God. When God makes a covenant with his people, God makes a promise. God says, I will. And so there's a stream of these promises through the scripture in what we sometimes call redemptive history, And so I thought, well, let's look at these, because these are the big ones. And in Christ, these are yes. And the first one is the very first thing (laughs) in our history when God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God is speaking to himself Now, God is three persons, so God is speaking to himself. And he says, let us make man. And let us make man in our image. In other words, let us make man to be an actual reflection of God. Not to to do reflecting God, to be a reflection of God. And man is given responsibility for dominion over the creation of God. Man is like God's agent in creation. The representative of God himself, the co-ruler with God, and according to our likeness, means as our as our son, as an actual extension of us. So we are... In this text, we can see that we are created, humanity is created to walk in fellowship with God, in interaction, in prayer, in real daily fellowship with God, so as to reflect God into the creation. That is the promise of Genesis one twenty six. Now we know... that we kind of messed that up when we fell in sin. And Jesus is the realization of that promise. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, And truth. How do we see the Father? We see the Father in the Son, the Word of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus. In verse 18 of that same chapter in John, we read No one has ever seen God. The only God, the one and only, the only begotten God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 He speaking of Christ is is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the image of God and when the scripture calls him the image of God, it's calling him a man. He's the thing that makes the invisible God visible. And that is the calling of all humanity. And that is the thing that is realized in humanity, in Jesus. If there's no birth that day in Bethlehem, then this cannot be. Man is not, if Jesus is not the Son of God, the Eternal One, born into flesh in a human being baby, without that baby, man is not yet made in the image of God, not in any fully realized way. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read, He's the exact representation of His being, the reflection of His glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, which is a reference to Satan here, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel in the glory of Christ, who is the image of God for what he proclaims for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ how do we see and come to know the glory The glory of God in the face of the man Jesus. That is how. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. In him, that promise is yes. Then, right after Adam and Eve sinned, there's another promise which is sometimes referred to as the proto-evangelion or the first gospel, the first announcement of the gospel in the Bible though I would want to argue for Genesis one twenty six, But the typical way of looking at it is Genesis 3.15. And this is God addressing the serpent. You remember what he said to the serpent? The seed of the woman will bruise your head. And so in Genesis 3.15, we have the promise immediately after the serpent succeeds in deceiving humanity and causing the collapse of humanity into sin, we have the promise of the destruction of that serpent in the seed of the woman, which is itself kind of an interesting expression. And in Galatians chapter 4, we find out what it's about. In Galatians 4, verse 4 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In the birth of Christ, God is destroying the work of Satan. In Hebrews chapter 2, which we've looked at recently, in Hebrews 2:14 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things Now listen that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil In him, the promise of God that he will crush your head is yes in Christ. In 1 John chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3. Verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So without apart from that child born that day in Bethlehem, the devil wins. But in him, the promise of God that the works of the devil would be destroyed, that promise is yes. If we move on in the book of Genesis, we get to Abraham, and in Abraham, God said to Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, in your offspring, in your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So God makes a promise to Abraham, and that promise to Abraham is a promise to everyone. Because it says, I will bless you, Abraham. I will make you a great nation. And in that nation, I will bless all the people of all the nations. So that's a pretty fantastic promise. And it's a promise to all people. And that promise is yes in Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, we read this. I'm going to start with verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's all the nations. In fact, the word for Gentiles here is the word ethnos. It's the word nations. Scripture foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith. Now listen to this preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. What that says, what Paul is telling us, is that when God said to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to Abraham. This promise is fulfilled in Christ the blessing of the nations by the seed of Abraham in verse 13 of Galatians 3. Uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged, who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations, the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Later on in that same chapter, in verse 26, sorry, it's hard for me to see the tiny numbers in this Bible. Verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so the promise of God to Abraham is fulfilled in Christ. In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Even in the Mosaic law, there's a promise of the new covenant. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. by canceling the record of death, debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. So that the promise of a changed heart, not the imposition of a law to create obedience, but the change of the heart to generate obedience. In Deuteronomy, it says... Your heart will be circumcised so that you will love the Lord your God. And in love for the Lord your God, you obey his commandments. There's a big transformation of heart from the need for the imposition of a threat of punishment to the inward motivation of the heart out of love to obey. That is huge and that promise is fulfilled in the person of Christ. That circumcision of the heart. There's a promise God makes to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16. He says to David your throne shall be established forever. Forever. Now he, in that same chapter, he's making promises about Solomon. He talks about how Solomon will build the temple, the son of David. And, but in the middle of that, God covenants with David that a descendant of David will be the eternal king of Israel. That promise is reiterated in Jeremiah 23 verse 5. Or in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, where we... uh, Well, I'm just going to read that one to you. Isaiah 9, this is a famous Christmas verse. In fact, it's really hard to read this verse and notice that it's in the Old Testament. Because it's so clearly about Christ. and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's promise is to establish the kingdom, the throne of David as an eternal kingdom, a descendant of David. In Luke chapter 1, Verse 30. The angel said to her, This is the angel speaking to Mary, Don't be afraid. <laughs> Apparently, whenever angels show up, they have to tell us not to be afraid. But anyway, so they, this one says to Mary, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The promise of God to David, the, the eternal throne of Israel, belongs to Jesus. The very first verse of the book of Matthew says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see right there in Matthew 1:1, there's an outline of the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The promise to Abraham which was the basis of the promise to David fulfilled in Christ. Now, we've already sort of looked at this, but in Ezekiel, we have the promise of the new covenant and the new heart and the spirit of God in Ezekiel 36. It's the text we read earlier. I will give you a new heart, God says. I will put my spirit within you and you will be my people, and I will be your God. That promise is also reiterated in the book of Jeremiah, and again, it's repeated various times in the book of Ezekiel. I will put my spirit within you. It's the promise we see fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. That promise of the new covenant, the covenant in which God pours out his spirit, in which he puts his spirit in the hearts of his people, is fulfilled and it's reiterated in the book of Joel, which Peter preaches from on the day of Pentecost. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you by the way that's a quotation from ezekiel where we had the people of god when they've received the spirit no longer need teaching you have no need that anyone should teach you but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him. And that anointing is the promised spirit of God. In uh, chapter 3, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. By the Spirit whom he has given us. By the Spirit whom he has given us. So this promise of God to put the Spirit in the hearts of his people has been fulfilled in the ministry of Christ. And in Romans chapter 5. Now, there's, uh, I don't know, maybe even hundreds of texts we could look to about the Spirit coming into the lives of those who put their faith in Christ. But in, in uh, Romans 5, we read this, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's exactly what the promise said, that the, the outpouring of the Spirit would generate in us the very love of God himself. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In Him, in Christ, the promises of God are yes. The Spirit of God has come and abides in His people in Christ. And then finally, we have this promise in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26:19: "Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the death will, and the earth will give birth to the dead. There was an argument in the time of Jesus between religious parties about whether there was a promise of resurrection in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't often take sides in the arguments of religious people in his day, but on that one he took sides. He said it's clear that the scriptures promise a resurrection, well, and of course Jesus delivered the resurrection. Jesus Himself rose, and as we read in in uh, Colossians chapter one, He's the firstborn from the dead. So He's not the last; He's the first, and He leads His people in resurrection. So that in Ephesians chapter two, we can be told that we <laughs> that God has already raised us up in Christ. You can see that also in Romans uh, chapter 6, where we've been buried in Christ and we've been raised in Christ to new life in Christ. So we look forward to a resurrection of body, but we've already experienced a resurrection of soul. We've already experienced a resurrection in Christ. We are so certainly to be raised that we are called already raised in Christ. In John chapter 6, Jesus reiterates this promise in John 6 verse 40. Okay, I also like verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus Himself will raise His people from the dead. He said to uh, Mary in or Martha in chapter 11, "I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will live." It's a promise of resurrection. Here in chapter six, in verse 44, He repeats it: "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me." draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's a promise of resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 the whole chapter is about the reality of resurrection and Paul concludes that with that great statement where O death is your sting? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the promise of the of the second coming of Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are still alive will be transformed, resurrected. Their bodies will change from subject to death to no longer able to die. They will be raised from the dead. And this is the promise that is, yes, in Jesus. This is what is happening that day when that baby is born in those humble circumstances, when God takes the lowest position possible among human beings. And as we read in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself, finding himself to be one of us made human. And Jesus is as human as you or I. And he is born and he's put in that lowly place. And then Philippians tells us, as a man he humbled himself and humbled himself and humbled himself. He did the opposite of us. Instead of seeking rank, he let go of rank. To the point of being crucified of being a condemned capital criminal. It is impossible to think of a lower position in human society than the victim of capital punishment, and especially the punishment of a Roman cross. And so the Lord takes last. Place, and the scripture says, and so God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, that's the man, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In him, all the promises of God are yes. In the beginning, God said, let's make an image bearer. Jesus is the image bearer. When Adam sinned, God said, my son will reverse the work of Satan that has occurred here today. And indeed, Jesus does, in fact, reverse that work by redeeming his people. By giving his spirit, by pouring life into dead people, by raising us, Satan is defeated. He says to Abraham, in your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And in Christ, the good news of reconciliation to God is announced to every nation. And we can read in the book of Revelation that Around the throne of God, the resurrected people will consist of people from every tongue and tribe and nation. All the nations of the world will experience the blessing of God in the person of Christ. We are told that the throne of David will be established by this one forever. And when Jesus is born, the announcement to Mary is that he is the one. The announcement to the shepherds is that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of David. And we can read in the book of Revelation <laughs> that he is the eternal king. We are promised that he will put his spirit in his people and in Christ the spirit of God has come. That Jesus said it to his disciples, when I go, I'll send the spirit. When I return to the Father, the Father and I will send the Spirit. So he won't just be with you, he'll be in you. And then the great promise of resurrection, which can only follow from all these other promises. And given all these other promises, must follow. The dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day. Believe in him. In him, all the promises of God are yes. You know, the story of a Christmas carol, famous Mr. Scrooge, which I learned this morning is not as famous as I thought it was, so if you're not familiar, I'm sorry. But uh, the famous story of Mr. Scrooge has a conclusion you know the conclusion? It's Tiny Tim as the last line in the story. And Tiny Tim is the son of Mr. Scrooge's somewhat abused employee. And Mr. Scrooge, of course, has a change of heart in the course of the story. And it, his heart is, uh, well, he's not saying bah humbug anymore. He's celebrating the holiday. Well, okay. But anyway, Tiny Tim has the the last word. You remember what he said? God bless us, everyone. God bless us, everyone. In Christ, that is actually real. It's not just a pleasant, heartwarming story. It is actually real in Christ. Those who put their faith in Christ receive the blessing promised to Abraham received the restored image of God promised between the persons of God before he even made the first one we are the recipients of the promises of God in him we haven't been visited by ghosts like mr scrooge was that's how he got his change of heart some ghosts came and they scared the living daylights out of him and so he repented <laughs> We have not been visited by ghosts. We've been visited by the very Son of God. And in him we have life. We have God's promises assured. The power of the resurrection of Christ assures us. In the book of Second Peter, which is very hard to find because it's so tiny. There it is. In the verse chapter one, verse three, Second Peter says this. His God's divine power has granted to us, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through how did God do that? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's Jesus. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You may be restored to sonship and image-bearing humanity having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Every promise of God is yes in Christ. So when we celebrate the holiday, it's not humbug. It is not just a celebration. I mean, the world celebrates the holiday. The world has all kinds of lights, camera, action, all kinds of fun, all kinds of, well, like the song says, kids jingle belling, parties for hosting, marshmallows for toasting, caroling out in the snow, all kinds of humbug. And it's good to celebrate, and it is a joy, but there is a deeper joy for those of us who know Christ and who can share the promise of God that has been delivered through the birth of his son. And we celebrate something bigger than the world knows. And so we might think of sharing it and explaining that there is something deeper, that there is something under all the party and there is something real to hang on to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this blessing that you have given to us in Christ. Blessing of all things, nothing left out. Lord, we pray that our celebration would be Enriched by the knowledge of our great Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.